Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Let's go to the book of Hebrews tonight. We are going to um, postpone for just tonight. Hebrews chapter 9. Um, the um, Route 66 series. Because I don't know why yet, why we're doing it, but we're doing it. Where did my wife go? Well, she had markers in her hand. Oh, there they are. Okay. Hebrews chapter 9, <coughs> Hebrews chapter 9, oh, let's see here, forgive the crudity of this model that I'm drawing, I do not claim to be an artiste, but I can give you a rough draft, all right, this isn't exactly the dimensions, but it is Similar, okay? Uh, let's just do this. Now, Hebrews chapter 9, uh, I want us to read for just a moment. Verse 1, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. How is everybody? Good. Glad you're, oh, by the way, I just want to say that um, send greetings from Pastor Roxanne and Miss Deb. That's where Heather and I were on Sunday. We had, they had invited us some time ago to be a part of their, um, their ministry anniversary. Uh, and so it was an honor to be there. They wanted me to uh, be the speaker. And uh, so we had a great time celebrating with them. They've been in ministry for 25 years, and uh, they've been pastors of that church now for 14 years. So, and just, they've been celebrating all the miracles and all the things that have happened through the years, and uh, it was an honor to be there to, to preach. But Pastor Roxanne, after I got through preaching, she gave me a word, and she really gave us all a word, and I wanted to just get you to be thinking about it and praying that she said, from October till March, our church is, is going to a new place. And, um, and she said, especially concerning building plans, and when she said, that stuff is 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 hurrying up, and in that six-month process, we're going to see a lot of progress concerning a building, all right, and concerning bringing something out here, and, uh, and can, plans and all those things. She said things are going to begin to come together fast in that six months, so uh, I got really excited, because what does the scripture say what happens when we believe the prophets? Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will prosper. So I'd, um, it was cool to be able to speak to um, Victory, their church there, and tell them about how Pastor Roxanne has impacted our ministry through the years. Can we all agree to that? And spoken things over us that, wow. And, and I mean, we've made major ministry shifts because of words that she has spoken from the Lord to us and helped, helped, us, helped guide us along the way in, in establishing the church and building the churches and expanding our our. Um, our reach to other cities even, and uh, Granberry is a product of, of that. So 
uh, God has just really used her mightily for us, and uh, I'm grateful to God for that. Also, I'm very excited to have this other prophet from South Africa come. Y'all remember when Andre was here with us back in, uh, was that, um, when was it, February? Was that, when was that? Earlier this year? And so um, he's going to be coming and ministering to us and, um, on, on Sunday morning and Sunday night. We have a special Sunday evening service with him, so I'm very excited to, to be here and, and, uh, and hear what he has to say. Uh, to our church, and I know many of you were ministered to him by him last time, and, and so we're looking forward to uh, a great day that day. Hallelujah. So, uh, where are we? Hebrews 9. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. Let's read then. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant, and above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now, one thing that the writer of Hebrews is not discussing in when he's talking about, or she, whoever wrote it, what, uh, the tabernacle of Moses is what is being described here, is it's really talking about these two parts. This part in the center being the holy... Okay. The holiest of all. We'll call this the holiest. This is the holy place, all right? And it, and it mentioned the articles that are in the holy place and then the holiest place. And what was in the holiest place? The big thing, the box. The box that housed the presence of God, called the Ark of the Covenant. But outside here was called the outer court. Now, this is as far as people like us could go. Gentiles could have a part in worship, but they could only go as far as the outer court, okay? Out here, there was the laver and the big, the big uh, what was that thing called, Stephen? Where they did all the sacrificing, yeah. The altar, sorry, thank you. The altar, I should know a word like altar. Come on, pastor, get it together. All right, so there is this, process, if you will, to get from the outer court to the holiest place. There are two veils. There's a curtain here to enter the holy place, and then there's a curtain here to enter the holiest place. Priests could go here into this holy place and do the service of worship, services of worship, but only one could go, called the high priest, into the holiest place, and his life was not guaranteed, even in being in that place. He had to have everything perfect, everything in line. Otherwise, it was death, sure death for him, okay? And he would go in there with blood. He could not enter that place without blood, and he would take that blood, and he would sprinkle it there on the mercy seat, the Scripture says, for his sins and the sins of the people, okay? And so this is the holiest place. And in that box or in that ark was 
the tablets of the covenant known as the law. There was Aaron's rod that budded, and then there was the manna um, that the Lord had provided to feed them in the wilderness all those years. So, But there was a process to get to or to experience, I should say, the presence of God. Now, I want you to go to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. There were all kinds of rules in order for one to experience the presence of God. You remember when King David went to get the Ark of the Covenant from the Philistines. Now, the Philistines knew that this box was powerful. Uh, they, they didn't quite know what to do with this golden box, but they knew it was powerful. But when that box was amongst the Philistines, bad things started happening to them. They started growing tumors on their bodies, and so they decided, uh, let's get this box out of here. So they uh, emailed David and uh, asked him to meet them in a public place, and that's where they gave him the box back, Okay. So David got the box, but he made a, a bad mistake in bringing this Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. He wanted to bring it back to where it belonged, back amongst the people. But David made a mistake. Apparently, he got a little casual about it. And so they, they constructed a cart that was pulled by oxen, and they set the Ark up on that cart and began to walk the the uh, ark back in a kind of a parade of praise and, and worship. And as they're going along, the scripture says that the ark uh, shook because the ox stumbled, and so it caused the ark to shake. And a man, poor Uzzah, a man by the name of Uzzah, reached out to steady the ark, and when he touched it, he dropped dead. So then David freaks out. I mean, he gets scared. And imagine this, he's, uh, he's afraid He's afraid of God. He's also angry, and, but now he's going, I don't want this here now. This is, this is not good. And a man by the name of Obed-Edom, everybody say Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom. Okay, Obed-Edom standing out in his front yard watching the parade go by. This all, as he's watching it go by, he sees Uzzah touch the box, <laughs> drop dead, and then everything stops. And then he sees the king turn around and point to him and say, we're going to put this at your house. <laughs> Can you imagine poor Obed-Edom? I have kids, and they touch everything. I don't want that box here in my house. But they bring the ark into Obed-Edom's house. And man... Stuff starts happening for Obed-Edom. His livestock starts increasing tremendously. They're having more babies than they ever had before. His crops are thriving. He's blessed in everything. The kids are all well-behaved. The wife is submitting like she should and making him dinner every night and rubbing his feet. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's what's up here. I'm sorry. I mean, things are good. There's harmony in the house, and he's prospering on every side. For three months, this is happening. 
And Obed-Edom is obviously loving this experience. Why? Because the presence of God is there. And so now word gets to David that, that things are good in Obed-Edom's house. So that he says, okay, well, well, that blessing should be for the entire nation, not just for a household. Let's go get the box and bring it back where it belongs. So we need to read the law and figure out exactly how we need to do this so nobody dies in the process. And so then they saw, according to the law, that the priests themselves bear the ark on their shoulders. They slide these poles into these rings that are attached to the, to the ark, and they carry it in on their shoulders as it was supposed to be, as God had ordained it. And so they brought the ark in to, back to Jerusalem. But it was a process. They had rules. There were regulations. There were laws set in place by God. Interestingly enough, David did not take this Ark of the Covenant and go put it in the tabernacle of Moses. He didn't put it in this place. David took it and set it in the midst of a tent, just a tent. And he opened up the sides of the tent, you know, like they do for the circus, opened up the sides of the tent, and he made an announcement. Anyone, anyone can come and worship here. You can come directly into the same room as the ark and worship God freely. Not just the Jews. He welcomed the Gentiles to come. And do you know what God did? He allowed that to happen. Even while at one place, the Jews were still over at the tabernacle of Moses, minus the ark, still going through their Jewish motions, while this is this some kind of suspension in all of that, that David makes this decree and says all can come worship, and so all came, and as many as wanted to come and worship God, they could all come into the very same room with that ark of the covenant in their midst, and no one died because of it. Acts chapter 15. Have y'all found it yet? Joel, Amos, Acts. And certain men, verse 1, came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem... They were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. As you know, all Pharisees have British accents. That's why we're Americans now. We had to get out of that land of the Pharisees.
Now, to the, now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. This is the game changer right here for the church. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And I could just hear many of the Jews that are there saying, So you started all this. If you hadn't gone to that guy's house, none of this, we wouldn't even be having this discussion, Peter. So God, listen, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. And we know the Cornelius story that you can read in Acts chapter 10, the first Gentile convert, and how did they get saved? How did they get saved? They got saved because they heard the gospel preached to them. You remember that? Remember all those good things that it said about Cornelius? Four specific things it said about Cornelius. Number one, he was a devout man. He feared God with all of his house. Number two. Number three, he gave alms generously to the people. Alms were an offering for the poor. And he prayed to God always. All of those things were very good. But still, Cornelius was not saved. Even though he had all those good things, all, I mean, his life looked right. Except on the outside it was good, but on the inside he was still dead in sin. But God sent, made sure that Peter showed up at his house through angelic visitation. You know the story. And, Pete, and, and what the angel told Cornelius, and we read this part in Acts chapter 11, verse 14, the angel told Cornelius, send men to Joppa and send for Peter, and he will come. And when he comes, he will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. He will tell you words by which you and all your... So Peter gets there, and he says, he starts preaching, and then he gets to Acts 10, 43, and he says, To him all the prophets witness that whoever believes on him will receive remission of sins. Wow. And while Peter was still speaking these words, what words? Whoever believes on him will receive remission of sins. The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And as many as came with Peter were astonished because they heard them speaking in other tongues. Now think about this for a moment. All they did was hear a message. All they did, there was no process. There were no religious gyrations. There were no hoops to jump through. It was they had to hear a message. And when they heard the message, their entire lives changed. And then Peter gave us understanding of what was going on on the inside of the hearer. He said, God purified their hearts. When they heard that message, God purified their hearts by faith. And he's, and he's proved it by giving them the gift of the Holy Ghost. Because we know what Jesus said. These signs will follow those who believe. And one of those signs of a believer is they speak in new tongues. So when Peter heard them speaking in tongues, he said, these guys are believers. How did that happen? We didn't say a prayer. We didn't make them raise their hand. We didn't make them come forward. We have a process to these things. They didn't have a process. We made that process up. You know, we didn't, there's no, there's no sinner's prayer in the Scripture, and there's no altar calls in the Scripture. None. We made all of that up. You know what we did? Do you know what we did in doing that? We gave rules. So Acts chapter 15, now look at this. We've got to keep reading. So God knows the heart, acknowledged them, verse 9, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples 
which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. Why are we giving them rules that we couldn't even keep? That's what he's saying. But we believe that through the grace, aren't we grateful for the grace, huh? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Now, who's James? This is James, Jesus' brother. This is not James the apostle. This is James, Jesus' brother, who would later write the book of James that you have in your Bible. Okay? James stands up, and he says, Listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. See, something was happening to James as he's listening to these testimonies and as he's listening to Peter talk about what happened at Cornelius' house. All of a sudden, a light comes on in James's heart and mind. That is the revelation brought there by the Holy Spirit that reminded him of a scripture. Now watch what happens. And with the words of the prophets, and, and with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of what? Of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind, who's that? That's you. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all His works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the, from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. Wow. Now listen to me. Let me remind you, James is a Jew and a half. Just read the book of James. All right? And what he says is what is on us to do is not on them to do. The way the gospel affects our life is different from the way it affects the Gentiles' life. And we need to make sure that we keep that distinction. Yeah, our, our life is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and we walk by this law because this law is what identifies us as a nation. We are circumcised, and we keep the commandments. But we're all saved the same way. But the Gentiles aren't required to do any of that because they are not this nation. So, he made a few rules for the Gentiles. Y'all remember the rules? Look what he says. But that we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from things strangled and from blood. That's it. That's it. So don't, don't eat anything that's, that's offered up to idols, uh, don't sleep around, and um, don't drink blood. Fair enough? Pretty easy, huh? And so, that was the... James, the Jew of Jews, said that, that's all the rules they need. That's just powerful. So what, what tabernacle has been restored? This tabernacle. This tabernacle. And James got that revelation. Listen to me. James got the revelation of the tabernacle being rebuilt from its ruins by hearing Peter's story about a Gentile hearing the gospel and believing. 
That's when the lights came on. So this is what he's really saying. All are welcome to this salvation. All are welcome to receive grace. Hallelujah. This, this, mess, this gospel is for all of us. Paul said it was a mystery that was once hidden, but now it has been revealed. That is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wow. Okay, so now all are welcome. So James said this is, this is that time right now. Right now, this is the time we're living in when all can come and know God. What sadly the church in large part has done has come into the tabernacle of David and made it look like the tabernacle of Moses. And said, so, no, if you, want to, if you want to know God, there's process. You have to say the prayer. You have to come forward to the altar before you can partake. Now, I'm not, I'm not against those things. Please understand, I got saved like that. I got saved because I walked down in the front and I gave my life to Jesus. I, I'm not against those things. I'm just saying we have to be careful why we're doing those things, that these don't become a must in order for people to know and have assurance that they're saved, that we don't make rules up to make it difficult. When God says we have a message, and if we'll preach that message, that message is what will save people and their households. And we, See, here's what happens. This happens, these processes or these rules happen, and you know what? The essence of the reason is, let me say this, because now these guys that, that do this kind of stuff, they would not admit this, but it absolutely is the truth. They do those things because truthfully, they're ashamed of the gospel. They're ashamed of it. They really don't believe that it by itself is the power of God, the salvation to everyone who believes. So they say the gospel plus you need to do this and you need to do this and, that, and then it will be authentic, then it will be real. So they're ashamed of it. And that's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God's salvation to everyone who believes. So this isn't about process. This is about preaching a message and seeing if they'll believe. That's it. And listen to what happens. They heard. Now go to, over to Galatians for just a moment. I'm almost through. Is this all right tonight? Are you learning something? All right, Galatians chapter um, 3. Do you have that, honey? Oh, no. Oh, you're playing. All right, so I'll go to her. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. She wasn't playing. Oh, Lord, I'm going to get it when I get home. I just really sense the Lord wants us here a long time tonight. <laughs> O oh, foolish Galatians, before we, before we read that, let me read something to you, okay? Remember, Galatians is Paul's, <laughs> look at these glasses. <laughs> Galatians is Paul's defense of the gospel. And he comes here to, to this church, these churches in, Gal in Galatia, and he sees a problem. He sees that Someone has come in after him and preached another gospel. And do you know what the other gospel was? It wasn't Mormonism. It was Judaism. The other gospel that came in was one that said, 
You have to keep the law of Moses and be circumcised. They tried to make Jews out of Gentiles. So Paul is coming back. He's writing this letter, I should say, to defend the gospel. Remember when he said, if anyone, if I or anyone else or even an angel from heaven comes and preaches any other gospel to you than what has been preached, let him be accursed. Or in Texas terms, let him go to hell. Okay? I think that's where Davy Crockett got it. You may all go to hell, but I'm going to Texas. <laughs> Quoting scripture. <laughs> so now Paul's having to remind them about the simplicity and the purity and the power of the gospel of Christ. Now look at chapter 3 now. Uh, actually, no, not yet. Not yet. Don't look there yet. Paul says, and I'm just going to read part of chapter 2. You don't have to bring it up, Lisa. I'm just going to read this to me, or to you, I should say, <laughs> and me. Yet not, listen to this. After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me, and I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Even Titus, who was with me, the Jew, was not compelled to be circumcised because Paul's saying, I didn't put that burden on him. I didn't teach him that because I preached the gospel to him. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ. There's only one thing that Paul can be talking about here. All right? How are they spying out their liberty? They're, they're sneaking into the locker room and they're seeing if these guys are circumcised or not. Yeah, very creepy. That's how they're determining if they're Jews or Gentiles. What a bunch of weirdos. And Paul said, we didn't even submit to them. Now, chapter 3, verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Wow, that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. I taught you one thing, Christ and Him crucified. That's it. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the... Now think about this. He didn't say, did you receive the, the Spirit by the works of the law or by exercising your faith? He said, the hearing of faith. Wow. What happened to Cornelius him? The Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the Word. The Word of God is, this gospel is so powerful. And watch this. Where are we? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? So the hearing of faith is being in the Spirit, all right? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it 
because you follow the rules? Does he do it because you go through the process? Does he do it because you prove yourself over time that you're worthy of a miracle? Is this how God supplies the Spirit to you? Is this how God works miracles among you? Does he do it by that, by the works of the law? Or, again, by the hearing of faith. Just being in the atmosphere of this message and our ears hearing this good news, something miraculous happens in that kind of setting. I can't explain it except that God is in that message. God wants to manifest His glory in that message. God wants to show His goodness. He wants to show out His miracles to us if we'll get in that atmosphere of hearing of faith. Romans chapter 10 says it like this. Bear with me for a moment. I got to go through my Rolodex for a moment. Romans 10, 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law to ev- for righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Isn't that good news? And then he's, in verse 5, he says, First Mo- or For Moses writes uh, about the righteousness which is of the law, the man who does those things shall live by them. Did you hear that? The man who does those things shall live by them. That's all about doing, performing. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring... No, I got that backwards. Oh, is it? Who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. And then verse 8 says, but what does it say? Okay, what does it say? What does it say? What, what does what say? What does what say? What did we just talk about? But the... Anybody remember? What, what did verse 5 say? Verse 6, I mean. But what? Say it out loud. The righteousness of faith. The righteousness of faith speaks in this way. So what does it say? The word is near you. This is the righteousness of faith. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Wow. Now, it's important that you be in a church, and you are, where faith is preached. But it's more important that you preach faith. It's more important that you speak the word of faith with your own mouth so that you activate the potentiality of miracles in your life of the supply, of a continual supply of the Spirit of God in your life. That is, by letting your own ears hear, what is it that God has promised me? What is in this gospel? What is found in this good news? Well, there's blessing in it. There's salvation. There's deliverance. There's restoration. There's healing. There's prosperity. 
There's blessing. There's favor found in this. And when we hear, we set our ears to hear faith, that's when we come into that continual realm. See, God made this really easy for us, my family. That's all I'm saying. We're not living in a tabernacle of Moses kind of day. We're not having to go through process to prove ourselves to God. Jesus proved himself to God on our behalf. And Romans 8 says that we were now, the righteous, that the righteous requirement of the law was fulfilled in us, in Christ. So it's already done. It's a settled issue. That's really good. Does that help you tonight? So that you remember, this, this is not where we're living. This is where we're living. This is where we're living. We stay in the, in the atmosphere of this good news. And we keep saying what God has said. And we keep hearing what God has said. And we stay in the atmosphere because that's where anything, we, we, we stay in the realm of anything is possible at all times. All right? So don't let the world cheat you. Don't let Dr. So-and-so, whoever, who has all those letters behind his name, try to take you to the tabernacle of Moses. I can remember we used to sing a song. I don't know if y'all remember this song. It used to go, take me past the outer courts into the holy place, past the brazen altar. Lord, I want to see your face. And take me into the holy of hope. Beautiful song, just terrible theology. If I was a Jew, I'd sing it with all my heart. <laughs> but I'm not. I don't have to go through that process. We just come freely into the presence of God. Freely. Freely. It's free. Isn't that good news tonight? Well, I hope you're glad you came to church. I'm glad you came. So let's stand together tonight. We'll have to do Micah next time. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. I want to give you this thought tonight. First John chapter 5, verse 4 says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. If you're born of God in here tonight, I want you to just lift your hands to the Lord. And I want you to hear this tonight. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Now listen, how is it, how do you overcome the world? It just said, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Now listen to me. How were you made a sinner? You were born of the world. Yeah, you were born of Adam. So you didn't have to do anything to be a sinner? You had to just be born? So you don't have to strive to overcome? You just have to be born. You have to be born of God. And the scripture says whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Not is trying to, not will. Has overcome the world, even our faith. Faith is how you became born of God. All I'm saying is, all you had to do is believe. 
All you have to do is be born of God, and you've already overcome, my family. We're not hoping to overcome. We already have overcome because we were born the right way. Hallelujah. We were born again. And so you can't help it now. When you walk into your next victory, which you will, when you experience your next deliverance, and you will, when you receive the full manifestation of your healing, and you will, when you experience restoration in your relationships, hallelujah, and you will. And others say, how, did that, how does that happen? I, I, I can't help it. I was born this way. I was born to overcome. I was born for victory. This always happens for me. I don't, I don't even have to strive to make it happen. Jesus did all the striving for me. Hallelujah. All I did was believe Him. I believed the message. I keep hearing about these signs and wonders and miracles. I keep myself listening to this good news and it changes my life and it revolutionizes my entire world. It brings peace to my family. It brings peace to my mind. It brings peace to my sleep. Hallelujah. It increases me on my job. It, it, it gives me favor everywhere I go. Because you were born to overcome. If you're born of God, you've already overcome. So when you're facing the trials in this life, when you're facing difficulty... You say, oh, no, I wasn't born for this. I was born to overcome. Adversity might be where I am, but it's not where I'm staying. This isn't the end. Hallelujah. He is able. God is able. God is able, who is on my side, to make all grace abound toward me. All grace abound toward me. And he has the ability, no matter how I found myself in this situation, whether it happened to me or I happened it to happen to me, however it happened, I can know this, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. So I know because He loves me, for I am persuaded. Can I leave you with one last scripture tonight? I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, thank you, Lord, for that. Come on, why don't you just praise Him and thank Him for His love tonight. Thank Him that He loved you. Thank you that He'll never stop loving you. Hallelujah. And so there's nothing, 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 nothing that can stop that love, that can keep you from it. Thank you, Lord, for that. And Lord, I thank You now that Your blessing is on Your people tonight as they leave from this place tonight. Thank you, Father God, that they are blessed and they will be a blessing, that you increase them, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the favor of God that surrounds them as with a shield. Thank you, Lord, that you, you have given your precious angels to us as ministering spirits, as servants, Lord. Lord, I thank you that those angels keep us in all of our ways, that they protect us, guard, preserve, and keep us. And Lord, I thank you, God, that your people, Lord, are blessed of God. They are blessed. They're not striving to get blessed. They are already blessed. Thank you that you have created them, overcomers. Thank you, Lord. As Paul said, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Thank you that they go in victory tonight. They go in grace. And thank you, Father God, that they shall have nothing missing and nothing broken in their lives. Shalom, shalom. Perfect peace. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious 
unto you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.